Oh my gosh, spring has arrived. It's so beautiful out today. Perfect day for a nice cookout. Girls all fired up. How's the potato salad coming? Oh, it's mustard and paprika aplenty, and the potatoes are perfectly cooked. Let me grab us a couple of beers. Oh no, Christy, we gotta get in- we gotta get inside. What? What's the issue? He's here again. We avoided him the entire winter. Let's just calmly walk inside and it is I, Doom. Oh no! Hi. Hi. I heard you needed sides for your cookout. It's been such a frustrating winter for machinations. Oh, we're we're fine, Victor. We don't need... I have gathered the fragments of a thousand dishes to create battle casserole. You... what? No, that sounds... interesting. Six kinds of cheese, various sauces, spices from my castle in Latveria, and plenty of delicious meat. We're honestly fine, Victor. We appreciate it, but we're just going to have a little family gathering. Ah, well, perhaps after your dinner, we could have an outdoor movie. You can choose from my immense selection of culturally relevant movies. A true God Emperor's cash. We can watch Only Doom Forgives. Oh, no, that sounds so lovely. But we're definitely fine. Would, Would you take a rain check? I have a supreme control of my domain. I can make it whatever we desire. Does he mean his yard? Yeah, we'll call you later, Victor. But, but, Doom wanted to have a great spring, please! <sighs> okay, well, I, I guess it's gonna be an inside meal. We're gonna have to throw him a bone eventually. Let's kick that can down the road a bit. Alright, so indoor picnic and then talk about comics? Yes! I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to our first of two episodes covering the 2015 Secret Wars. Yes, the volume one of Secret Wars. There's never been a Secret Wars before this. Chris. There hasn't. Chris. There hasn't. What were our first episodes about? Marvel Superheroes colon Secret Wars Volume 1. Chris? That's what it was called. What did we call it when they came out? Our podcast episodes. Delightful. We called them (laughs) Secret Wars. And we had a whole joke about which Secret Wars it was. There's a lot of secrets and a lot of wars. You you can't have it both ways. I can if it's funny. Okay, this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, I'm super excited to cover this, by the way. This is my favorite Marvel crossover ever. You know, that says a lot about things and crossovers. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm halfway through it. I haven't read the whole thing. True. And that's always the interesting part about having these multi-part episodes. We really get to dive deep into the content but also, I'm never quite sure how I, how I feel about something at the beginning. Mm. Does this happen to you with meals? Do you take a bite and go, eh, I'm going to need to just... No, 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 nope, that does not happen. Oh, okay. You don't need to go on a meal journey. Generally, the meal tastes the same. Like, like your, your mashed potatoes aren't going to taste different on the fifth bite. 
what if we made a long row of mashed potatoes and put like five gravies on it? Just like, like almost like, you know, those like tricolor burritos. Okay. Meals can have different items within the meal, but you normally expect the same item to taste the same way throughout. So if you have different flavors uh-huh. of mashed potatoes, those are in fact different parts of the meal. But what if you like, I eat wouldn't a- expect them to taste the same if they're specifically designed to taste different. But what if you ate them as a journey? Well, every meal should be a journey of flavor. Uh, Secret Wars. Are you calling this a journey of flavor? It's what a is of flavor. what is the theme of our menu and what course are we on right now? Um how many courses is this total? How many issues is it total? I don't know what how I don't know how to do a nine course meal. I think five is like is tops, right? Okay, okay. So if there's nine issues, okay. then we'll say like every two issues is a course. Okay, so then we're on we've done five, so we're two and a half. So you normally start with an amuse bouche, right? Yeah, yeah. Then soup? I'm just asking, what is what is our thematic profile of this? Salad. Okay, yes. We're on the salad course. Sure. (laughs) What is the theme of this menu? I don't know. Hmm. This is your assignment. It's kind of a hodgepodge. Well, that's not a very good menu if we're going on a journey. (laughs) You're awfully confrontational about the Secret Wars fun. (laughs) Readers are going to be like, are Chris and Christy fighting? <laughs> Only about food, readers. Only about food. <laughs> I'm still dwelling Is on this Doctor just... Doom sides <laughs> from the cold open. <laughs> Do you think there's like a restaurant in Doctor Doom's Latveria where you can have like a like a nine course tasting menu and you're ser- served by Doombots? Absolutely, there is. That sounds fun. It's been a while since we've gotten to eat a tasting menu. Yeah, we really haven't done it many times in our life. No, like three. And, you know, like, I've never been like, man, I really, I really wish we could go do that right now because it's not a thing we do a lot. But now that we can't do it. Yeah, it's all I'm thinking about right, right? now. It's going right? to be hard to podcast. Why am I so hungry? <laughs> it's because we ate a very small dinner. <laughs> all right, well, I'm sure the readers are probably uh, falling asleep as we speak. As we, I don't know. I don't know. Our food discourse. People like it. Maybe we should make time to eat up discourse. Uh, please cease discourse of action. <laughs> well, should we head on into the summary? Yes. Secret Wars, number one through five, written by Jonathan Hickman, penciled and inked by Isad Ribic. Colored by Ives Forcina, lettered by the juggernaut Chris Eliopoulos and Clayton Cowles, and edited by Tom Bravor, Will Moss, John Moison, and Alana Smith. Issue 1. At the end of the universe, Doctor Doom, Doctor Strange, and the Molecule Man stand before a bright light ready to confront the Beyonders. So, long story short, universes have been crossing over with each other, which will destroy both universes unless one of them is destroyed beforehand, which has led the Marvel Illuminati to do some really sketchy stuff, but they ultimately haven't stopped these incursions, and only two universes remain. The Ultimate Universe, Earth-1610, and the Marvel Universe, Earth-616. Ultimate Nick Fury and the Maker, a.k.a. Evil Ultimate Reed Richards, prepare to attack the Manhattan of Earth-616 as the two cities begin to converge. It's all for show for the Maker, though, as he has allied himself with the new Cabal, Thanos, Black Swan, Terex, Namor, and Maximus. Things start to turn pear-shaped as the 616 heroes defend their home and the civilians in Manhattan. 
Reed Richards has been attempting to construct a kind of universal lifeboat in which he's going to put people necessary to start over anew, and they're being brought in a massive ship by Black Widow. A series of escalations happen with Iron Man of Earth 1610 unleashing a very large weapon called Iron Man 6, the Guardians of the Galaxy from 616, and Cyclops' Sentinels also start assisting in the fight. The Hulk from 616 and other local powerhouses destroy the Triskelion and the base of 1610's shield, and then the Maker unleashes his artificially aged children of tomorrow. Numerous, and I mean numerous, heroes perish. Black Widow's cruiser gets destroyed, which means Plan B must be enacted. An Earth 616 manifold teleports tons of Marvel 616 heroes over, such as Spider-Man, Thor, Captain Marvel, Star-Lord, and Cyclops, all into their life raft. Oh, it's also important to note that Cyclops has unleashed the power of a phoenix egg and gained the godlike powers of the phoenix. As the incursion finalizes, a bolt of energy strikes the life raft, sending off a section consisting of Sue Storm and her children. Reed Richards tries to stretch to reach the section as Sue holds it together with her powers, but her powers fail, and the section shatters into nothingness as the life raft hurtles into the unknown. Number two, we open on some kind of testing as a Thor, yes, a Thor, passes a test by lifting a Mjolnir. He is deemed worthy to join the group of Thors who keep the peace in a realm ruled by a god, Dr. Doom. The Thors offer some light hazing of the new recruit and ask him to tell them how the world was created by God Doom, who raised up all the separate kingdoms but rarely allows travel between them, and the Thors act as police for the realms. Alex Powers, a minister of the Future Foundation, finds a strange artifact in the kingdom of Utopolis, which we recognize as the life raft of the Makers. Ominous. The eldest Thor and the new recruit travel to Bar Sinister, where they have to grab its Baron, Mr. Sinister, and take him to Castle Doom, where he is to stand trial. Jamie Braddock, the Baron of High Avalon, has accused Sinister of conspiring with Hyperion against High Avalon. He protests, but is eventually found guilty, and he demands a trial by combat, which Brian Braddock agrees to. Sinister defeats him, even after being decapitated? But before he can deliver the final blow, Doom himself intervenes. Doom interrogates Brian, saying that some dissidents in High Avalon, who conspire against Doom, whisper the name of Braddock as a sympathizer to their cause, but Jamie says it's him they're referring to. Doom nearly strikes down Jamie, but his wife Susan intervenes, and in his mercy, Doom sentences Jamie Braddock to... The shield. After the trial, Valeria, Doom's daughter, what? Grabs Sheriff Doctor Strange, informing him of the ship the Foundation has found and saying it was carbon dated to a time older than the universe. Strange orders the area quarantined, talking to Valeria in the shadow of Franklin Richards, who sits in the palm of a flaming Galactus. The Thors drop off Jamie at the Shield, a giant Game of Thrones-esque wall that keeps out the Marvel zombies of the Deadlands, the Annihilation Wave, and the Horde of Ultron ALI. Jamie is given a shield and told to jump into the fray, ending his life at the expense of some zombies. 
Strange then sends the Thoris to quarantine the vessel, and when they arrive, Amoloid accidentally opens the ship, where the Cabal quite suddenly kills the Elder Thor, before Thanos grabs Amoloid and demands to know where they are. The Amoloid tells him they are in... Battle World! Issue 3. Strange briefs doom on the events in Battle World, which bores the heck out of the omnipotent ruler. Strange has to remind him that he's not all-knowing, and they muse about the creation of Battle World and how Strange could have been God, but ultimately left it to Doom, who has full trust in Doctor Strange. Before their conversation can get much further, there is news from the Thors. Doctor Strange heads to Utopolis, where he investigates the death of the Elder Thor with the help of our fresh-faced youth Thor. The other Thors find six of seven tracks leading away from the raft and go out to look for the perpetrators. Strange yells inside the raft for whoever is hiding there to come out, and Miles Morales pops out. Miles explains how he went into the ship to investigate the bad guys and remembers all about the incursion. Strange seems very surprised by this. Susan Von Doom talks with Victor as she heard a song in the square about a man in the sun. They speak about this man, Johnny Storm, who led a rebellion against Doom and became the sun orbiting Battleworld. Doom tells Susan that in his flawless world, he is the one flawed thing that fails to inspire the people. But Susan takes off Doom's mask to reveal his scarred face, saying he is a god with great love for his people. Strange takes the young Thor and Miles to his island stronghold, where Strange reveals he had previously found another life raft, and directs the young Thor to open it. The heroes of Earth-616 emerge, and Strange starts to explain the situation to the confused superheroes, including a still-injured Reed Richards. Strange talks about the age of Battleworld, eight years, and how Doom maintains the illusion of time using his power. Reed angrily demands to know why Strange didn't open their raft as it was found three years ago. Strange replies that Doom is frankly amazing at playing God, meaning this could possibly threaten the natural order of things. The Cabal has a nice campfire going with several of them saying they should have kidnapped the Elder Thor for questioning. Thanos replies that there is no need to regret that is lost. And when Black Swan questions him, saying they're simply muddling along, Thanos says the answers will find them as they are approached by numerous Thors descending from the sky. Issue 4 the Thor Corps and the Cabal exchange blows as Strange explains Battleworld to the heroes, specifically how it is, it is an unnatural, piecemeal world that needs the guiding hand of doom. The heroes are not stoked to hear this, and Reed asks to know more. Strange explains how Doom and he confronted the Beyonders and stole their power, but when the time came, Doom was the only one to wield it. Cyclops, empowered by the Phoenix, reminds Strange that people with great power have... Um, a prerogative to make a better world. But this chat is suddenly interrupted by the young Thor, whose hammer is glowing. One of the Thor Corps attempts to summon Doom as the Corps is losing against the Cabal. Doom and Valeria analyze the situation, and Doom seems to not care until Strange arrives and Susan sees Reed Richards. There are no versions of Reed Richards currently in Battleworld, and Doom has apparently spent time looking for him, so it's time for God to enter the fray. Reed and Doom exchange not-so-pleasantries, and Doom demands the newcomers bow their heads, since this world is his. 
Cyclops interrupts him, covering him in fire and claiming to be the true future. Doom, however, emerges basically unscathed and grabs Cyclops, breaking his neck as Doctor Strange casts a spell to scatter the heroes and villains to the wind. Doom demands that Strange get them back, but Steven teleported them to protect them and reminds Doom that Reed will stop at nothing once he figures out that Doom has stolen his entire life. And just like that, Doom uses his godlike powers to kill Doctor Strange. Issue 5. The Court of Doctor Doom attends Doctor Strange's funeral, with Doctor Doom, of course, not telling anyone it was him who killed Strange. Afterwards, Doctor Doom meets with Valeria and tasks her with finding the teleported heroes, but of course offering no additional details, even when she asks. He leaves her and enters a secret underground base which contains... Owen Reese, the Molecule Man! We get a nice recap of how the Beyonders tinkered with the universe, creating a Molecule Man for each universe to be used as a bomb to destroy it. But Doctor Doom and 616 Molecule Man engineered a plan in which they killed lots of Molecule Men to thwart the plans of the Beyonders, ultimately arriving at the end of the universe to destroy them. Doom used Molecule Man as a conduit to create Battle World, and now Owen just hangs out underground. He knows that Doom killed Strange, though, and says this will be what unravels everything. Also, he's super hungry. Valeria holds a briefing with the Future Foundation, in which they discuss how they can track the particle matter of Doctor Doom, and how the only person who did not register in that particular way was Doctor Strange, and that his power spiked before all the heroes were teleported. They're on to something here. And we see where some of the heroes went. Black Panther and Namor to Egyptia, Jane Foster joining the Thors, Captain Marvel captured in Bar Sinister, Black Swan outside Doomstad, and Thanos at the Shield. Whew. This is... This is a chunky amount of stuff. Yeah, a lot, a lot happens. It's interesting that the first issue is almost a prologue, but they didn't give it like the zero issue treatment, which... They sure didn't. I love when it. I started reading it, I was like, Chris, have I done that thing again where I've started reading the wrong issue? Because this feels like I'm sm smack dab in the middle of something and there's nothing secret happening here. And you're like, no, no, you're fine. You're, you're doing it right. Yep. Um, I mean, technically, you were in the middle of something, but not this. Right, right. And then establishing, oh, this is that was basically the last efforts before our quote unquote secret war happened. Right. So ultimately, this was a really interesting crossover, publishing wise, editorially. Jonathan Hickman was started uh, in 2012 writing Avengers. There was this whole initiative called Marvel Now, where they were like, where, where it, it was a very Axel Alonso kind of like, we're going to start everything over with new creative teams. But it was one of the only times I feel like they did this where people were genuinely excited about what was coming out of it. This is like when Jason Aaron started Thor, where Bendis started his X-Men stuff, if I recall, it, where Jonathan Hickman started on Avengers. So he wrote Avengers. Which was about kind of like Iron Man and Captain America and stuff. But he also wrote a comic called New Avengers, which was about like the Marvel Illuminati trying to stop these incursions happening. Mm -hmm. And you, the, you find out the entire time that this like shadowy figure that is behind it is actually Doom and he, due to some time travel shenanigans, but that he was doing it for a reason because 
the reason why the incursions happened at all was because the Beyonders just like messing with stuff. And yes, now there is more than one Beyonder. And it turns out the Beyonder that we knew was mm-hmm. like a baby Beyonder. Mm-hmm. Now, in the first Secret Wars, which was not officially called just Secret Wars. It Marvel some... Superhero Secret Wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was called Battle World as well, wasn't it? Yes. Okay. This is basically just an homage to that. But it, it right. has like a lot of the – it's interesting in, in the ways in which it kind of picks up on that first Secret Wars without fully doing that. Right. I mean, in the the – the first Secret Wars Battle World was this amalgamation, this patchwork quilt of pieces of different places throughout the universe. It was one galaxy that got like blended. Right. Yes. Right. So, I mean, that's a little similar, but I'm reading a comic in 2015 that clearly is no longer really a comic for children and seeing Battle Worlds on the page, I kind of just rolled my eyes. I mean, but I guess if it's an homage to something that a lot of people read as a child, maybe that hit a little better. Right. I mean, it's also like comics are silly. Right. And I feel like Secret Wars, the Secret Wars really wants to do both. Comics are silly and also it wants to have tell this really poignant story. Right. Which That's kind of the Jonathan Hickman school of of comic books, I think. Which to me, I, I, it gives me the feeling that it has somewhat of an identity crisis. And, you know, that's a really personal opinion there that I, this whole time I'm like, what is this strike? Cause it's not an all serious, heavy, dark comic. No. There's some silly in there and there's some like self aware, but it definitely, it wants to be able to do both. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure yet, being halfway through, if it can successfully do that. But That's obviously, fair. since it's something that you really like, it worked for you. Yeah, I, I I read that. So that first issue at the very end, where Reed tries to like grab Susan, but then like as he reaches his hand out, like her her force field mm-hmm. gets like she can't maintain it, and it like the whole thing just like disintegrates, and his hand like snaps back. Yeah, and like. Like, I, I think he, like, loses part of a finger, like, the, the force field snaps back so quickly. Uh-huh. And then it's it just, it's just, like, some voiceover have... of, like, I believe in nothing, or, like, I right. used to believe in... And I, the like... last two pages are completely black, aside from some thoughts from Reed. We also see the Marvel Universe 1962 to 2015, like, Ultimate Universe 2001 to 2015. Yeah, such a permanent thing. Sure, but... The that last scene with him trying to grab her and not being able to, like, that really hit me, like, incredibly hard reading it. And I hadn't even really been reading that Avengers run very much. I had to kind of go back and educate myself. I feel like that would have hit hardest had I had that attachment to the character. And I feel like I've read Reed at so many different points throughout continuity that I have like I've experienced him written in so many different ways and I'm never sure if I'm supposed to dislike him or if the writer's trying to make me like him and I still dislike him or if I'm actually supposed to like no, him. No, he he's he sucks. I I I think Hickman writes him in in a way to me that is kind of the most I don't, I don't know if relatable's the right word, but he inspires some some empathy. Yeah. You know how we talked about today that uh like about a lot of people think you, you have to have a protagonist that you would agree with on everything or you don't actually want to read it about them or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's, 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 there's like, there's like a, a push of, oh, like 
if I don't, you know, if, if I don't agree morally with this protagonist, right. they're a bad one. But that's not true. And even like when Reed kind of stinks at times, sometimes he's just really interesting to read about. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we've ever really doubted that Reed's super in love with Sue. True. I think there's times where he is kind of neglectful of her. Right. There's times where he could definitely be a better partner to Sue. Right. But I think the love for her is always there, even if he's misguided. So I said that this was kind of a sequel to, or this was a follow-up to his Avengers run. Yes. It's not just that. It's also kind of a follow-up to his Fantastic Four run that had ended a year or so beforehand. Mm-hmm. He just he just had his sticky little hands in a lot of things. It's also kind of a sequel to his Ultimates comics run, which is where he kind of did stuff with the Maker. Okay. It's also kind of a sequel to Secret Wars, right? Like, in that whole time, Doom, Doom was trying to gain godlike power and never quite managed to do it. Doom is such a goofball in the original Secret Wars. Yeah, and now he, like, got it. <laughs> he was, like, the reason for our first silly villainy awards. Mm. He doesn't even Doom monologue in this, so I don't feel <laughs> like it's truly a spiritual successor. He doesn't, he kind of has, like, real Doomy conversations, but he doesn't monologue. I miss those Doom monologues. They're good. I, I love Doom, and so, like, that's also another thing about Secret Wars, is I'm like, yes, let me read about this But Doom isn't a silly villain in this. No, he's not silly. He's... He is both full of self-doubt and hubris at the same time. Right. It's pretty... It's pretty good. (laughs) So, the end of that first issue, and knowing... I need to talk a little bit more about the marketing and, and stuff behind this. Okay. They canceled every single Marvel comic that was coming out. While the duration of Secret Wars was coming out. It was all Secret Wars. Yes, because there Ew. are- Ew. Well, here's- Ew. Here's the deal. Ew. There's, there are tons of tie-ins. And a lot of them were kind of like spiritual successors to things that people were reading. Ew. But I hadn't read comics for a bit. And so I kind of came back in with Secret Wars a little bit in 2015, uh, since we had a newborn. And there was only so much we could do that, that wasn't inside time. Mm-hmm. And so I read a ton of these because I was like, oh, I don't need to know anything about to read Infinity Gauntlet. And all of the little tie-ins, well, at least not all of them, but a large chunk of these tie-ins were named after stories that had already happened. Oh, yes. This is this is where some of my confusions have happened. Yes. Where you've accidentally read Siege, but it was this Siege. Yep. Civil War. I think you accidentally read this Civil War. <laughs> It's happened too many times. I don't like it. It was bad. Well, it, it is what they did. They canceled everything. And then when Secret Wars or Secret Wars ended, that was when they had all new, all different Marvel, which tried the same thing as Marvel now, which was like, let's do big new stories. But most of them were terrible. I'm going to open up my thesaurus and use a synonym and go, ugh. A lot of them are fun. Um, there's an Inferno one, and it, but it's weird though, in that they all had to take place on Battle World, so there's still all Barons and stuff, even when people are maybe trying to tell a slightly different story. X-Men 92, which was like a follow-up of like, oh, what if we were doing the X-Men 92 cartoon, took place, but also like it had to be in Battle World, so that made it a little strange. But a lot of them are fun. I would be so upset if the ongoings just stopped. Mm -hmm. For a cross-up. Like, it's already annoying enough when you're reading a run and you have to stop and, okay, this is the tie-in. Do I want to read the tie-in? 
But like, that sounds really long term. How long was this coming out during? How long did other comics just stop? So this started in April, I believe. Maybe May. It had some delays. It didn't finish until December. Ew! (laughs) It took so long to come out that they started to release some of the Marvel, the all new, all different Marvels beforehand just to have something to do. But they had to do it in ways where they couldn't reference the ending to Secret Wars. I don't like it. This is so bad. Why did you like this? I don't even care how this story goes. That's just bad. No. I love it. A lot of people were like, I wonder if people in the future will, will remember the delays or if they will just remember that the se- like the Secret Wars like main title was like a you know, like a real banger. And all I can remember is that. Because the stuff that came after it was so bad in general, like I don't even mind that it that it took forever to come out because I just want to forget that. Oh. Okay. That's when like the the era of X-Men came out where they like lived in limbo and the, the Terrigen mists were poisoning everybody. Okay. That was um your when kind of how I ultimately got you into comics, which was when when Spider Woman Spider Woman was one of the ones that got cancelled as part of this and then relaunched, and the relaunch was when she was pregnant. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the whole reason she was pregnant. Because I remember when we talked with Dennis Hopeless, and he was like, "Well, we'd have this like, like a new big thing, like a, and there's this big like time skip, hmm. and so why? How about she's pregnant? I'm like, I'm not gonna say that's the best logic for, for <laughs> spawning that arc, but I'm I'm very happy that it happened. Right. So yeah, that was. I mean, that was around the time that you did get me to read. You're like. Hey, hey, look at this cover. And she was pregnant, and I was like, oh, ooh. <laughs> Who is this character? <laughs> ooh. So far, I have been reading DC's Batgirl of Burnside uh-huh. and Squirrel Girl, maybe? Maybe? Maybe at that and point. And then I was like, ooh, pregnant Spider Woman? There's a Spider Woman? <laughs> yeah, there's a Spider A, who is Spider Woman? <laughs> B, why is she pregnant? <laughs> I was like, she wants to be pregnant? She did it on a purpose. She wasn't sci-fi pregnant. <laughs> I was so excited. You're like, no, she's for like, like for real, for real pregnant. It's going to be like a baby uh-huh. and not an alien or a construct or yeah. somebody that's going to be real big in a day. Um, yeah, real baby. <laughs> he has basically been forgotten since, but real baby. <laughs> oh. But that was kind of what was going on with Secret Wars at the time. And the marketing was like Civil War. They just like throw it in like the middle of something. And people are like, is Secret Wars just one thing? And there's going to be a bunch of other things. Is one thing going to be part of the other thing? It was like, there's a lot of speculation, but they ended up just being these little tie-ins that take place in the little battle world sections. Cause you saw that map at the, at the end of issue two with all the, Hmm. you probably did not read much of it. No, I saw the map. I was like, this is a lot of places. Why would you go through the trouble of having this elaborate a map? A, you're Jonathan Hickman. You're Jonathan Hickman. Uh, B, <laughs> if there's going to be a bunch of those those tie-ins, those spin-offs, I guess it makes sense to have a map that lays out this world. It's also important to note that Jonathan Hickman was doing this thing called Time Runs Out that was leading up to Secret Wars, where the, the final incursions were happening. Mm-hmm. And he kept referencing... This thing in X-Men called Nation X, where 
Cyclops and some people lived and, like, had sentinels that, like, guarded them. Mm. And he's like, I found a phoenix egg. And you don't figure out where where the phoenix egg came from. Wait, we never figured that out? No, because it seems like Hickman wanted to do something and, like, Brian Michael Bendis was supposed to kind of play ball because he was writing X-Men at the time. And he just didn't. He's never referenced it. So we don't actually know how Cyclops got the phoenix egg and why they even Maybe had sentinels. Maybe Bendis resented Hickman sticking his fingers in his pie. Well, Bendis did that a lot, so <laughs> he basically guided the 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 whole trajectory of the company for like ten years. So maybe Hickman didn't need to stop everything and say, "I don't know if he demanded that or not." Play my way. He might have. He demanded that with X Men. He's like, "We, you know, like we we'll, we need to stop all the titles for House of X, Powers of Ten, and then redo them." Which, yeah, like right, like I mean. Yeah, it worked, but also, House of X Powers of Ten was imagine, a lot quicker. I cannot imagine the ego that it takes to be like, yes. Well, with with that one, with in in the defense of House of X and Powers of Ten, mm-hmm. that canceling was planned out like a year in advance, yes. and they just like did some stuff to make up the time. Mm-hmm. So when they like when they got these people to write between them, they're like. You have a finite run, and and I and I know and I understand that and I appreciate it, uh-huh. but also, yeah, ego, ego, huge. I don't think he has a huge ego, from what I've heard. I don't. I don't know how else you have the confidence to, to just be say like, we need to cancel everything and start over. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be my my idea. That's well, gonna if make somebody awesome. said, "Hey, Christy." You need to run the you you are going to be running the franchise of the Avengers comics. Did you, what like what do you do? I feel like if you're really wanting to put your mark on it, you've got to be like, well, we've got to like start from my my idea. The whole idea of putting your your mark on it. See that that feels all eco based rather than like this is the story that I want to tell rather than that is, I need to make my mark. On, no, it's not. No, it's not. When I when I would want to make a mark on something, it would be because I want to tell my story, not necessarily I want prestige. I want to put my spin on something. There's too many mys in that. Well, and if you're the if you're the author, it's your work. I guess that's true. But I mean, I guess in this case, it's, it's not. It's work for it's, hire. But. Right. It is work for hire. It's not your intellectual property. It's not your characters. True. I feel like your story should service the characters and not your legacy or your ego. I guess. I think it's Marvel, so it's like... I'm sorry, I'm having really deep philosophical thoughts that I wasn't prepared for, and how dare you? I know, what have, what have I done? And we barely just... Dis- well, in a way, that's almost kind of how Doctor Doom is in this uh, <laughs> segue it back. The whole deal with Battleworld, where he just like grabbed a bunch of stuff at the end of the universe and shoved it together, and they're like, only he could have done this, is kind of my favorite. Yeah. I did not see... So I know the very first issue we have Molecule Man and Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom all together there. I didn't know that was Molecule Man. I didn't know what dude was there. I was like, "What's well, Doom staring at?" I don't understand what's happening. Um, let's continue on. I just love when they ask him who he is, and he goes, "I Doom." <laughs> so when we see Owen Molecule Man show up in like the fifth issue, I was like, "What?" What? And then going back and doing my reread, I was like, oh, he's in the very first issue. Christy, how did you not see that coming? I mean, it's, you don't even see his face. I think it's just like his torso. He's just like a figure. Yeah. I mean, so, it's his costume, but. I don't, 
I don't know how much was known if you were reading the comics at the time about this whole plot with the Beyonders and Molecule Man. Is there much known? Because, like, I was like, whoa, that's a big reveal, kind of, like, blowing my mind No, thing. it was that was all recap. Okay. That was in the final issues of New Avengers. Okay, so this is, that was, I thought it was just a really cool reveal. <laughs> the, the thing with him, like, killing the Beyonders, that was new. But the whole, like, the Beyonders did this thing where they put a Molecule Man in every universe, so we killed a bunch of them because as Owen killed them, he got their power, and then, like, that kind of charged them at the end of the universe. Mm. They used him as a con or as a conduit, killed the Beyonders, took their power, and then like made a battle world. Yeah, comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it was some weird, some just like big weird ideas. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think. I, I I feel like I'm being misunderstood when I'm saying making your mark. I think I mean like I think if if you want someone to write a comic book and you want someone to write Spider Man, like you need their take on Spider Man. As opposed to, like, we want you to write this story where Spider-Man does this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I th- I, I prefer things that tend to be, like, creator-driven rather than editorially driven. Oh, no, and I think that's totally fair. But if your mark on something and the story you want to tell isn't heavily influenced by the existing characters and their continuity and what has come before, then it's not a very good take. That's fair. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I suppose that's a that's a balancing act. And I think that's, I don't know, it's just a, a different way of thinking of it. And I'm sure all creators think of it differently. Like, how can I tell this new and innovative story with X character that is something that only I could bring to the table? Uh-huh. Um, versus, like, an approach of, you know, what do I have the ability to explore with these characters? Yeah. Which I guess it can be both. Hmm. It, to me, it's just two different ways of thinking of approaching it. Okay. I just think it was funny that they, they apparently couldn't talk to each other and uh, resolve this Cyclops getting the Phoenix egg thing. I don't know. Just he, he had a Phoenix egg here. <laughs> yep. He sure did. He sure did. That's what we're reading. He has the Phoenix egg. And he just turns into the Phoenix. I love how... When Cyclops gets the Phoenix egg, Phoenix egg, he is suddenly like like a TA in philosophy. He's just like suddenly just kind of spouting stuff. Yeah, in in a way that's totally normal for Scott Summers to be doing. So, I mean, that that there really isn't like Scott speaking. It is the Phoenix speaking. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And th- this was this was kind of a follow up on Bendis doing the having in AVX. Cyclops gained some Phoenix abilities and other four other people did too. This was, mm-hmm. I think, supposed to follow up on that. He just gets taken out like a chump though. I spent extra money to get a variant cover with S- S- Scott as the Phoenix on it. And it's mm-hmm. the issue where Dr. Doom kills him. <laughs> oh no! And I was like, no! Oh no! My boy! <laughs> And Scott was dead forever and never came back. Well, after this, he is not in the relaunch. And then it turns out that he had died during, uh, like, with this, in, this like, the Terrigen Mist had killed him. And then he doesn't come back until, like, before House of X, Powers of Ten. There was, like, the year before. There was something called Phoenix oh, Resurrection. Oh, no, I, okay. Yeah, I remember that. And you were like, Scott was dead. And I was like, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> like he's been dead for like four years or three years or three years. And you're like, we <laughs> he just didn't care. <laughs> you're like, I don't read X Men. It's for nerds. I never said that. You did. It's rude. <laughs> Chrissy didn't say that. I was just like, there's a lot of stuff in X Men, and I don't know. I don't know. That's more than I can handle. It's true. Give me these 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 titles with these characters that nobody really cares about, and nobody's like, yeah, I need to put my mark on these characters. Yeah, but even like the the stuff you really like, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, like that that is a that is a story to tell. That's that's true. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, it wasn't putting a mark on a character because it was a character I knew nothing about. Oh, okay. That was just the character. There has not been a better run of Squirrel Girl before, or maybe even, (laughs) maybe after. I mean, definitely after now, but. (gasps) Yeah. I, I think there's just things that I love about Secret Wars. I love that there's a bunch of Thors and they're, they're all like. I hate the Thor cops. I mean, I just, I just don't like. Yeah. It's like, like a cop story. The, the fact that that's what he picked, I thought, thought was like, that was kind of like a clever idea. Of all the Avengers to pick to be your cop brigade, you mm. picked the Thors? I mean, they're very strong. Yeah. I guess they have, like, a little bit of that himbo energy going for them. This The youngest Thor is, like, is just a baby. Just a little baby himbo. Uh-huh. Um, there was a mini that was written by Jason Aaron called Thors that, that, was, that was a Battle World mini. And it was a police procedural with Thors. Mm-hmm. And I'm fairly certain that the frog was like the one that worked in like the lab. Oh, I, I thought that was kind of clever. I like the fact that there was a different ship of villains and a ship of heroes. Yeah, that is similar to the original Secret Wars. Yes, there this is was. Why it's in a lot of ways a sequel. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just it's it's almost like instead of doing a weird alien landscape, they just did. It's like he just made an alien landscape with familiar pieces. Yeah. 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 Kind of a patchwork. There's no quilt. Hulk. No, no. I mean, there's actually lots of Hulks because a lot of these battle worlds have their own little versions of characters. So there's like several Captain Americas. Oh, yeah. You think the cop brigade would be like Captain Americas? I guess maybe. I think Thor's makes sense to me because he Th- Thor Thor does a lot of a lot of guardianing. True. Also, it's just it's all ego for Doom, right? Like he gets to make all these gods his little his little lapdogs. Oh, that's that's also true. It is wild that Doom was like, all right, time to become a god. I'm going to steal Reed Richards' family as well at the same time. Uh, I mean, he still reads Petty Roommate. He is. But the fact that he wanted to like marry Susan the entire time, that's kind of wild. Did he want to marry Susan or did he just want Reed's life? Does he just want to marry Reed? <laughs> Changing my, we'll go down with this <laughs> ship now. Uh, he... Doom has always kind of wanted Valeria as a daughter, I think, because Valeria is very Dr. Doom-esque. <laughs> I love that poor Franklin barely has anything to do. He just hangs out with Galactus, who's on fire. I don't remember why Galactus is on fire. I think we learn, but... Uh, Galactus on fire! Uh, so this week, <laughs> this week, Kings of Leon is apparently releasing the first album as an NFT, which is one of those like blockchain objects. Oh no! I know. Oh no! I know. Oh, I'm so sorry. I sang that. It's okay. They're just they're they're goofing. People are like, I'm gonna make this thing. How much carbon is this worth? Oh, it's a lot. Speaking of accolades to rewrite, 
Do we want to get into our accolades? Sure. All right, Christy, what is your best line? My best line goes to the Punisher, who says, Gentlemen, they say that when you die, you can't take it with you. Which begs the question, exactly what am I going to do with all these bullets? Now, Christy, when did he say that? When the world was ending. Yeah, it, there's this there's this whole scene where, like, the villains are, like, toasting the heroes all being defeated in a bar. Uh-huh. And the Punisher just walks in and delivers that line. It rules, and it's also my best line. Okay. A daily double. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. That that's like the best line in probably this whole this whole like series. It's just it's so it's so cheesy, but it's so Punisher. Mm-hmm. Punisher, I don't think shows up again. It's just like it just needed a little moment. All right, so this next one, greatest hero, I felt was really hard for me because I don't know that there's been like a ton of acts of hero. Not that people haven't been heroic. It's just there hasn't been a lot of success in heroism Mm -hmm. but i did give my greatest hero to reed richards Mm -hmm. because he was involved in the ship of heroes that made it to battle world and he lost i mean everybody lost something but he has the really emotional moment of losing his wife and children yes it's very sad he had this whole deal of like let's bring a bunch of like botanists on board and then like didn't get any of them Mm mm-hmm that was. I gave mine, and this is silly, but to Jamie Braddock. Oh, he, like, I thought I considered that as well. Since like, he like sacrificed his life for his brother. This is a very different Jamie than the Jamie that is in Excalibur now. The Jamie in the six one six is supposed to be like, and I, I like I don't know if, if, if he's like sociopathic or something, but he's like, mm. oh, so this is a da- Jamie from a different universe. Okay, because he seemed very noble and like. No, no, no. It's not my brother. It's me. I'm right. and like has his whole fight with Sinister and yeah. This is so, kind of the the also the origins of Jonathan Hickman's take on Sinister. And boy, it is a take and um, I love it. I love the uh like oh, the law, how trashy. Like that's <laughs> Sinister's pretty great in this. What about your coolest moment? Mine is the bit where that poor old Thor is, like, trying to warn them to, like, they, they need to leave. And he gets, like, triple speared. It's gruesome. It's just cool in that it's, like, it was, like, a very shocking end to an issue. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the you know, like, the cabal marches out. It was, uh, it was like, a really good example of, like, oh, we need to, like... So, in, in Star Trek The Next Generation, they would often pit new enemies against Worf. Because Worf was like a good measuring stick, because he was like the strongest one. Mm-hmm. So if they could beat Worf, they're like, "Oh well, we can't just beat him by punching him." Right. I feel like that was like the bit here. It's like, "Oh well, they beat that that old Thor." Uh huh. But it's all like villains that we already know. Like no, none of those characters were new. Even Black right. Swan, who is like the she is the mm-hmm. Jonathan Hickman pale pale woman character. He has made pale women characters in like at least three of his. Mm-hmm. Putting his mark on it. That's more of a motif, I'd say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Even like Summoner, not not a woman, pale person. There's just tons of pale people. But she she's been she'd been in it for like forty issues at this point. Mm. But that was kind of a good you know, we got a Thor measuring stick. Yes. Yes. 
Well, my coolest moment, I just gave to that uh, in issue five where we had Doom going and visiting um, Molecule Man. Uh And just that reveal to me hit me so hard because I really didn't see it coming, not having read anything leading up to this, that I was just like, oh, and I thought that was a really cool reveal. Plus, there were fun bits about Owen being hungry. And I was like, I'm here for that. Yes. Yeah. Owen Reese, the Molecule Man... Doesn't have like a ton of appearances post 80s Secret Wars. He's not like a mainstay. Mm-hmm. So this this is like another reason why this is like very much a sequel to that. Because he was kind right. of instrumental to that. Yeah. Doom was chasing Godhood. Mm-hmm. I actually, I, I, to me, it is somewhat brilliant. Sort of this, this story is kind of a battle world of Marvel stories as well. And that it's like this this like dangling thread and this dangling thread and this dangling thread. Mm. I really, I, I'm, it's funny this entire time. I, I, I'm like, I love this. And you're like, I'm not convinced. And I'm like, but I love this. And you're like, I'm really not convinced. And I'm like, but I love this. <laughs> what about your Crusher Creel award for silly villainy? I would like to note that Crusher Creel is not in this battle world. No, he's probably one of the tie-ins, but. There were a lot of tie-ins. Like, you probably saw the... the... I need my Crusher Creel. I know. He's so good. He's an Immortal Hulk, and you're not even reading it. Hey, and Titania. They're being being husbandly and wifely. It's too serious. It's very serious. (laughs) They kind of get fun bits. But anyway, my Crusher Creel award for silly villainy is when they're like... When they're all sitting around, like, eating some meat. They're just, like, having a nice campfire. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we should, like, maybe make a plan. And Thanos is like, plans are for babies. Look, there's Thor's. <laughs> it's just funny to me that Thanos is such, like, a, what, what? I don't make plans. I just imagine Thanos' desk just being really messy. Uh, Thanos doesn't even have a desk. Doesn't even keep the papers. Well, see, but if he has a desk, then I can have this image of him with, like, a little, a little picture of death. And mm, that he can mm-hmm. look at while he's doing his typing. Oh, yes, yes. Thanos, you have to turn in these TPS reports. He's trying his best. He's just got big fingers. How's he going to use the keyboard? He has big keys. Oh, that's probably true. Do you think at 4 p.m. Thanos looks at the clock and then it, it like makes a noise and he goes, one more to go. Yeah, probably. I don't know. He seems like the kind that might work through lunch and just take off at 4. <laughs> that's probably true. He actually take, he takes a lot of half days. You think so? What's he doing the other half of the day? Oh, well, the other half is, you know, we can really only do a 50% of of a thing, right? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, I get, I, I'm so sorry I didn't get that joke instantly. It's okay. It's not, I don't think it's very good. <laughs> well, my Crusher Creole award for silly villainy went to Baron Sinister uh, for the whole reason they bring him in front of this this court was because he said Lady Megan looked like a cow. He did. And we see Brian saying, Lady Megan is with child. And Sinister said, yours? Well, that's even worse, isn't it? <laughs> he looked so disgusted, too. Uh, it was, the whole thing was just, was just very silly in my mind. It is. Well, readers, our next accolade is the Key of C Award, which is an award we give to a moment or moments that we feel would be best represented in a musical number or expanded upon, even. 
So what's yours, Christy? So mine goes to Sinister for... He has that serious musical theater energy. Like that moment where the Thors come in and he says, Ah, the law, how very trashy. Mm -hmm. He needed, like... I'm almost envisioning, like, an Ursula-style monologue. Oh. Monologue and song. Sinister? This is the first appearance of Bar Sinister, which is later retconned to have been in the 616 the entire time. He He just needs a big energy. Let me tell you how it is, you silly Thors. Yes. What about your Key of C award? Mine goes to the bit with Owen Reese and Doom. I thought they that oh. Doom being really serious and Owen hanging upside down and being a goober would have been kind of a fun, like almost lo- like a like a comedic duo sort of thing. I totally agree. I can see some really interesting lighting happening there, mm-hmm. where Doom has his kind of his his deeper, darker like blues and purpley tones mm-hmm. and. Um, a lot of serious stark lighting, like maybe even some some side lights. Whereas Owen's got this really light, playful mm-hmm. lights, um, kind of the focus shifting between them, the two. Yeah, I think that'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. So our next award is the I go I will go down with the ship award for the for someone the a, a couple that we ship friendship or or mm-hmm. romantically and. I feel like in this one, you've just got to ship Reed and Sue, right? I do like that Sue is like, I don't, I've never seen him before, but there's just, there's just, there's something about him. something about him. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very sappy love, love story there with her seeing him again, but also her, or him losing her. It's just very, they got, they got a lot of compelling love happening throughout this. Yeah. Um, I didn't go that way though. I went, Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, they're a little bit where like you're in you're in like a real you're in like a real mood today. I thought they they kind of had some some old lovers energy. Yeah, more like some odd couple energy. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> this is not the first story they've been in together. They were there was once a mini called Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom. I think Triumph and Torment. Mm. Do you think they ever like share some some empathy over? Each of the, they are like, I want to say disfigurement, but Strange's like loss of use of his, his hands and dooms. I haven't read you know, Triumph disfig- and Torment. I probably should. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they, they relate a little bit there with maybe. having to. Uh, unrelated. This is the first time that we've seen that Dr. Doom's like taken his mask off. That was supposed to be like a big deal. Oh. And it's funny because I think a lot of people had thought like, I don't know if it was a rumor or just something that had talked about that he maybe had like. A tiny little scar, but was just so vain. Oh. But this was, this was like, obviously no, this quite is, different. Yes. He was like, you know, guy was missing a nose and stuff. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. All right. So our last accolade is the goodest hit. Yep. For the, for the best, the best, best whammo strike in this comic. And to me, the best whammo strike is Brian decapitating Sinister. Like, I know it's not a successful decapitation. It just looks really cool. I mean, he does cut his head off. It's just, that's not how you get Sinister. Right. It was very cool. It was well drawn and everything. Very, (laughs) very impactful. So mine is going to go to my goodest hit goes to the bit where Cyclops just throws this big arc of fire at mm-hmm. Doom and it literally like melts him and then Doom just kind of comes back together. But like that like big like whoosh with the fire, I thought that was super cool. 
I love that both of our goodest hits are moments that it seems like it's a really successful hit, and then it's like a gotcha yeah. that you thought that would work, didn't you? Well, that's all that that can be kind of a fun storyline technique is uh-huh. to like a big hit and then be like, oh. So the moral wasn't. of this uh, this story is big punches do nothing in superhero comics. I mean. Just- it's kind of it's kind of fifty fifty, right? Big punches did nothing. They did nothing. There was a lot of big punches that did stuff in the first issue, mm-hmm. and then spears later on. That poor Thor got like triple speared. All right, readers. Well, thank you for joining us on our ride through the first half of Secret Wars, twenty fifteen what... Secret Wars Volume One. Secret Wars Volume One, not Marvel superheroes. Secret Wars Volume One. <laughs> And if you are looking for the podcast on the internet, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Chris's Pod. You can email us for those long-form messages at chrisisoninfiniteearths at gmail.com. We love reading out five-star reviews on the show, so review our podcast wherever you can. Uh, Normally, we find that on iTunes, but we've read out some Facebook reviews, too. But give us one of those five-star reviews, and we will read the review out on the show. Uh, if you'd like to support us monetarily, we have a Patreon in the show notes where you can, at certain levels, request a podcast or request an episode of the podcast or several episodes of the podcast that we absolutely must do. In fact, this one is a patron request from one Charlie Davis. Thank you, Charlie. And if you want to give us some of those one-time donations, we also have a Kofi uh, links for that are in the show notes as well. But if you cannot support us monetarily, support us through your words. Tell a friend, recommend us to somebody looking for a podcast. Uh, We love to reach more ears. Uh, If you want to check out our writing, uh, we both write and I edit for comicsxf.com where there's lots of weekly reviews, interviews, sort of fun feature pieces. We've got it all. And until next time, readers. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours.